People don't rise from the dead. People die. We're used to that. We expect that. That's what we hear about. That's what we read about. When we see tragedy strike, when we see headlines, as we've already sadly become accustomed to the mass shootings already this year, sadly we're familiar with those. Those don't shock us anymore, but what we look for is the count, the total. How many were killed? How many died? Because that's what, what happens. People die they don't rise from the dead. So with that in mind, we really shouldn't be too quick to, to shame or be hard on Thomas because things were no different in Thomas' day and age than they are today. People died then just like they die today. People don't rise from the dead. Word had spread that even Jesus had died but people don't rise. So when his disciples came to him with the news that they had seen the risen Jesus, don't be so hard on Thomas for his reaction. Don't be so hard on him for doubting what was an abnormal occurrence. Somebody rising from the dead. And don't pretend that you would have been any different in his situation. That you too would not have doubted the report that the disciples passed on to you. Because that's when doubt is most likely, isn't it? In the midst of that which is most unlikely. When unlikely things aren't expected, that's when doubt happens, when statistically, when probability, when the likelihood of an event is, is minimal, that's when our doubts surface. Which makes sense, doesn't it? The less likely something is to happen, the more inclined we are to, to doubt that it will. Not too long ago, you might remember that, that the lottery jackpot had skyrocketed quite a bit. Now, I don't do this very often, but once in a while I'll do for, for fun. I went out and bought a couple of tickets. Now, do you think that I bought the tickets because I thought the likelihood of my winning had increased? When the jackpot rises, nobody claims a winning ticket, and more people than ever are buying tickets, your probability goes down. It's even more unlikely that you are going to win. So trust me, I doubted that I was going to win, but I, I didn't miss the opportunity to teach my kids that buying lottery tickets was poor financial planning, not a, not a plan to, to set aside for your retirement in the future. It's unlikely. The probability of winning the, the lottery is, is not something that is, is in your favor. And there are lots of things that, that are like that in life. Statistically, probability, the facts that would give us reason to doubt their likelihood. The, the sheer number of those who make it into professional sports might, might make you give your kid pause about aspiring to, to reach to that level. Because those kinds of, of doubts are based on a pretty small percentage of those that would make it that far. So we might call that reality-based doubt. When we look at statistics and we look at the reality of things, it causes us, with good reason, doubt. But that isn't the only kind of doubt that we struggle with, is it? In contrast to reality-based doubt, we might call brain-based doubt. Brain-based doubt, that's the stuff that's in my head. It doesn't really matter what the statistics say 
or, or facts or probabilities or likelihood because in my head if I doubt a thing then it's far less likely to gain any traction. I tell myself in my head that I, I, could, never, I could never capture thoughts and put them into words this, the way this author does, so I'll never be able to, to write a book. I tell myself that, well, I, I'm still not, not married, so I, I doubt that I'll ever get married, despite the fact that the right person you might meet tomorrow. So these things aren't based on statistics or facts, but in our mind, we have already clouded them, smothered them with so much doubt that the likelihood of a thing happening is, is decreased significantly. And we even have an expression, I suppose, we, we tell people uh, when, when they get too much in their own head, that's just in your head. There's no reason for you to believe that thing. It's just in your head. So there's that brain-based doubt. So when we look at Thomas today, which one of those do you, do you think was the greater factor in his doubt? Was it reality-based doubt? I mean, remember, people don't rise from the dead. People die. Is that what he was experiencing when the disciples came to him ecstatically? And as John records for us, they explained to him that Jesus had risen from the dead. And instead of rejoicing with them, he responds by saying, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. It would seem that 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 doubt was reality-based because he hadn't seen Jesus rise from the dead and people don't rise from the dead, except that Jesus' resurrection was, was different. While resurrection in general is not only improbable, it's impossible, Jesus' resurrection was not only probable, it had been predicted. So if... Thomas was familiar with his scriptures of the day, which we'd call our Old Testament scriptures. Scriptures like the psalm that we just spoke responsibly, Psalm 16, Psalm 22, the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Micah, Jonah, and and others throughout the Old Testament. He would know that the Messiah was predicted to rule and reign eternally. So therefore, how could he die? And while there are some Old Testament prophecies that find their intermediate fulfillment in David, because David died, we know that those, refer, those prophecies that refer to not being abandoned in the grave and seeing your offspring living forever eternally could not refer to David. They had to refer to the Messiah. So he had the Old Testament scriptures that directly and indirectly painted a very clear picture that the Messiah would live forever. So death could not be the end of Jesus. But you also know that that Thomas didn't just have the Old Testament scriptures. He he had it right from the horse's mouth. He heard it from Jesus himself a number of times that Jesus very clearly predicted he would die and three days later rise from the dead. And Jesus too, those were very clear, but he also predicted indirectly in a number of ways, tying himself to, to Jonah and the prophecy of the temple being destroyed and building it again in three days. Jesus in so many ways made it clear that he was going to rise from the dead. In fact, further validating Jesus' prediction of his resurrection was the fact that his enemies used it against him. Do you remember that when they, they brought charges against Jesus, they accused him of claiming to be able to rise from the dead. So even his enemies knew that Jesus made the claim. So Thomas had that on top of it. And then finally, he had the disciples. These weren't random strangers. These were friends. Trusted companions. 
people you wouldn't naturally be inclined to doubt or second guess. And it wasn't just one or two of them. It was the whole lot of them that said collectively, we were there. Thomas, we were all together and Jesus came. Every one of us saw. Now, if this was them just trying to pull one over Thomas's eyes, surely one of them would have broken down and said, okay, you caught us. We can't keep pulling this one off. But, but all of them were convinced and shared that convincing testimony with Thomas. So in light of that, is, are, are, are Thomas's doubts reality-based? Or rather, are they brain-based? Were they simply in his head? They were not reality-based, were they? Think of it this way. Tomorrow morning you wake up and you read a headline that tells you that somebody has found a cure for cancer. Based on reality, you would conclude, you'd have your doubts, you would say that's not possible. We We don't cure cancer. We can treat it to some extent, sometimes successfully, sometimes not, but there's no such thing as a cure. But now somebody's made the claim And now what if he provides the evidence and the studies and he's able to point out exactly where the source of cancer is and how to treat it and cure it? And then not only that, but he says, here are my case studies. A number of patients that over the years are the evidence that I have found a cure for cancer. And not only that, but the friends of these patients who are the case studies also testify, yes, they had cancer and now it's cured, it's gone, there's no... There's no coming back. It's been cured completely. Suddenly, reality has changed, hasn't it? Initially, you could say, yeah, my reality is is reason or evidence to, to doubt that there's a cure for cancer. But now suddenly when there's a cure for cancer, you can't base your doubt on reality anymore because reality has changed. So it is with the resurrection. People don't rise from the dead until that reality changed and Jesus raised himself from the dead. Now that reality has changed. People rise from the dead. Now let's shift away from Thomas's doubt to your own. Are the doubts that you struggle with, are they, are they reality-based doubts or are they brain-based? Are they, are they in your head? And, and let's talk, because we are a, a group of Christians, let's talk primarily about those theological doubts, the ones that we have that apply to our understanding of God. And now maybe you think, well, we don't have those, do we? We're, we're Christians. We believe, we trust. Yet we also know better, don't we? We know the doubts that we have. In fact, how ironic that this, the second Sunday of Easter, one of the the very crux of this season of Easter, the event itself, Jesus' resurrection from the dead, is one that each and every one of us has at one time or another doubted. We found ourselves wondering, did, did it really happen? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Maybe let's push a step further and go back beyond that when we've really pondered where we stand in the midst of eternity and this universe, have we not questioned, can we even be sure there's there's a God? We can all relate, can't we? And that's just really scratching the the surface. You ever doubted creation? You ever doubted or questioned the, the Trinity? 
Have you doubted, especially in this day and age where the world continues to tell us that there is no difference between men and women, there's just a few different parts that are different and you can change those, switch them up as much as you want to. Have you doubted that God actually designed men and women to be different on purpose to be a blessing to each other? Have you ever doubted that? Have you ever doubted hell? Have you ever even doubted if there's a heaven? Then you're in good company. You're not alone. But sadly, I don't, I don't say that to comfort you because it's not particularly good company to be in. Because when we consider all of the doubts that we have ever wrestled with and will continue to wrestle with, we can trace them all back to that first case of doubt in the garden. When the serpent first sowed the seeds of doubt to Eve, and sadly, those seeds didn't just die, but, but sprouted into full-blown sin. When he stood there, or I suppose slithered there, before Eve, he led her to doubt, did God really say that you couldn't eat that fruit? And that doubt snowballed into sin just as it continues to do today each and every time that we struggle with doubt because it takes us back to that, that trace beginning of doubt and shows us that our doubt isn't some innocent ignorance that we can plead before God, but it actually comes from the same place it did with Eve, which is rebellion, which is what refuses to be beneath God or by Satan's lie that he sometime, somehow wants to lord it over us or make life miserable for us or dictate what we can and can't do which is itself a lie. Because if you could begin to grasp the actual relationship that Adam and Eve had with God before the fall into sin, it would blow your mind. There was no fear. There was no coercion. There was no dread over a, a God lording it over them. There was only perfect harmony. An, a, a perfect understanding of a God that, that loved them beyond what we can even begin to grasp. That was the relationship that they had with God when they had that image of God before it was tarnished forever and the fall into sin and passed on to you and me. So we find ourselves between a, a rock and a hard place. Are we going to continue to stick our head in the sand and, and doubt? Or are we in repentance, willing to replace that doubt with trust? Are we willing to trust that the same God back in the Garden of Eden that gave an eternal gospel promise to our first parents gives you and me the same assurance and promise that your sin Every sin, every ounce of it, including every ounce of doubt, has been forgiven. Do you believe, will you believe, that because of, of Good Friday and Easter Sunday, that it doesn't matter what accusation, what doubts the devil brings, that, that God has declared that it is inadmissible in a court of law before him because it has been paid for and forgotten? As much of a reality as our doubt is and as condemning as it is, do you believe that God has declared you innocent of that doubt? Do you believe that, that the resurrection helps you see things differently? That though you may have struggled with doubt in the past, it can be different in the future? Do you believe that, that God actually doesn't want your life to be crippled by doubt? 
but instead would long for you to have a life that is filled with security and assurance based not on how well you believe or how strongly or firmly you trust, but, but based on how convincingly God keeps his promises. If you are willing to believe those things, when you are willing to believe those things, you begin to experience the blessings that Jesus promised to Thomas. When Jesus, purely out of compassion for, for this doubting son of his, appeared to Thomas later, he reassured him, peace be with you. He told him, stop doubting and believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. When you replace that doubt, when the Holy Spirit replaces it with trust in him, you will see those blessings that Jesus promised to Thomas abound in your lives. Finally, the source of the doubt doesn't really matter. Whether it's reality-based or brain-based, just in your head, we're going to doubt daily. But you know something else is true. We also trust daily. And you do it more times than you could count over the course of a day without even thinking about the trivial, the mundane things that you do. You take a bite of food and you chew on it and you eat it and you swallow it, trusting that you aren't going to choke. When you drive home today, you're going to follow the traffic lights and obey them, trusting that everybody else is going to do the same so that they don't collide into you. When you take that pill that, that the doctor has prescribed and you read the directions on the pill bottle, you do so trusting that that is going to be for your good. You go to bed at night. You close your eyes without a second thought, trusting that you will wake up in the morning. Those are just a few examples of how much we express or, or experience trust in these little mundane daily activities. And yet you also know from personal experience that not one of those examples is 100% reliable. But you still trust in them. So friends, what happens when we place that kind of complete trust, not in things that are unreliable, that are not guaranteed, that are uncertain, but place 100% complete trust in a God who is 100% trustworthy, reliable, always keeping his promises. When we replace that doubt with trust, as I said, we start to see the blessings that Jesus promised to Thomas. Even though we haven't seen the resurrection helps us see what we could not otherwise see. Friends, it, it's time, perhaps today more than ever, to leave Thomas behind and allow the resurrection to help us see that our doubts are unfounded. Amen.